everyone, and welcome. This is episode 268 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Ryan and Paul, ready to talk arbitration, all that fun stuff. Uh, not really. I kind of dread this show every single year. But hey, at least I'm in better spirits because the Vikings choked away their first round playoff game, just like we all expected Ooh, those frauds to do. Not right? me, man. Not me. Not happy. No? No, very unhappy. Here's why. Uh, I don't really bet on sports ever. Like, I just don't do it. I, uh, It's very dangerous if you like think you know what you're doing to do it. However, I, I think uh, I bet like once every five years if there's just some scenario that arises that I can't just say no to. And the Vikings playing against the 49ers in the playoffs was going to be that. It, they were going oh. to get a playoff <laughs> win. They were going to have a huge, great record. Um, and the 49ers are going to be going into that game with Brock Purdy at quarterback and uh, they were, I think it was going to be like a touchdown or less uh, point spread for that game. And the 49ers are just like a million times better than the Vikings. They were going to their, their point spread could not be high enough for that matchup. So um, I basically look at this as costing me some amount of money. And so uh, I would have liked the Vikings to have gotten one more. One more down the line would have been nice. Well, just. I don't think you would have gotten that good a number because remember the Packers were favored over the Vikings by like a field goal just two so weeks like, ago. We, we all know the Vikings suck and like all, all the football nerds know that the Vikings suck, but this is going to be a big stage for them. They were going to go into this with a huge record. It's going to be hyped up by the station as like two of the best teams in the NFC. The you have Justin Jefferson star power. Um, it, it was it was not going it was going to get a a dumb line. I, I'm like pretty sure it was going to get a dumb line. There's we'll never know for sure. There's no way to tell, um, but I, I think it was going to be a touchdown or less. Like I, I'm pretty sure it was going to be a touchdown or less. <laughs> yeah, Vegas knew. Vegas knew that the Vikings were frauds. Well, they, yes, at least they did, they did when they, Vegas they played the Packers. But people that wager aren't always smart, so that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the Vikings fans would have moved the line, right? So just to be clear, Paul, you didn't lose money this weekend. You're upset you lost future money. That's correct. Yes. Future okay. speculative money. Yes. There we go. <laughs> the, the Vikings futures market was looking very profitable for you, and it didn't turn out. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, if the Packers aren't in the playoffs, I can at least root against the Vikings, and they they were who we thought they were. So uh, the Vikings, or, or the 49ers, I should say, are just going to steamroll through the NFC. That's not going to be any fun. But I hey, think at least e the other the Eagles are about as good as they are. That'll be good if they can run into them. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll see. I, I'm just nervous about the Giants now because like it seems like anytime the Giants are actually in the playoffs, they get stupid and they do things. <laughs> they are annoying. They, that is true, but they're not good. They're, they have smart yeah. coaching, but they're not good. Yeah, I, I I guess Daniel Jones can't look like a Josh Allen 2.0 every week. So there's that. All right. Uh, well, you you guys will talk football soon enough on the on the reporting as eligible pod. I know you're a little bit more sporadic in the off season yep. when there's nothing to talk about, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll do, a Vikings. We'll do loss something later. during the playoffs. We still need to do a recap, and yeah, we'll show up. It was it was a fun right. weekend. Honestly, the, the comeback by the Jaguars yesterday was a fun game. So that, yeah, it's still st cool stuff going on. I literally turned that off when it was twenty four to nothing after that last Chargers <laughs> touchdown, and then never turn off a Chargers game, man. Yeah. No. 
No, I should know better. Yeah. All right. Well, whenever Paul and the gang does another reporting as eligible, you'll get question priority there. If you're a patron, you get question priority here. If you're a patron too, you can go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority. Make sure your question gets answered. Uh, well, five bucks a month gets you that question priority, plus some exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson of RotoWire. Uh, the international signing period opened today as we do this on Sunday. So there's going to be a lot of new kids to talk about. I know mm-hmm. we got a couple of questions, Ryan, but uh, I- I'm sure you and James can't wait to start diving into uh, all the new prospects in the system. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do that down the round, uh, line here. We do have uh, our offseason top tens to do, too. So we got to get that in before too long. Uh, depend, see if we want to do that in January or February. Got to still talk to James about that. All right. Well, we'll still be on the lookout for those as well. All right. Uh, I guess we got to talk arbitration and all the numbers that made Brewers Twitter upset this week. So, of course, they had a slew of arbitration offers to make before this past uh, week's negotiating deadline where they had to exchange numbers before any potential uh, hearings coming up in the spring. And they reached deals to avoid hearings on all of them except for one. And it was fairly notable. It was Corbin Burns. (laughs) It made the internet burn down because the two sides seem to be close uh, in terms of what they think that Burns is worth for the upcoming season. But it looks like they're going to be going to a hearing after submitting figures that are just about $740,000 apart. Yeah, just to put a finer point on that, it's uh, the Brewers came in at $10.01 million. And Burns <laughs> came in at $10.75 million, so $740,000 apart. Why are you making an offer for 10.01 million? Like, that seems oddly specific to me. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it's that kind of thing that got people talking this week. And we got lots of questions about that. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the rest of the arbitration cases later because Ryan's got all those numbers. But obviously, people want to talk about the Corbin Burns situation. We got our first Patreon question of the week coming from Price Trozen, who uh, kind of sums up the feeling of, of quite a few fans when he asks, uh, should we be super mad about chump changing burns over less than a million dollars? I kind of <laughs> am. If nothing else, the optics are terrible for Mark A. Uh, Paul, uh, I know we've talked about this and the bad optics when it comes to financials lately. Your feeling on that? So first of all, uh, you should be mad, but you shouldn't necessarily be mad at the Brewers, at least not in total. And the reason for that is you know, we talk a lot about the Major League Baseball antitrust exemption, but I, I don't think a lot of people realize sort of where it hits you and where it doesn't. One of the places it hits, one of the places it really impacts things is in arbitration, where when numbers are submitted from each side, the team's numbers actually get circulated to all of the other teams first, and they can uh put their two cents in and in some cases make a big stink if they think that you are offering too much for a player. Um, And it is difficult for any individual team to go against consensus on that. So uh, the Brewers, of course, are their own thing. They're allowed to do whatever they want. They're an independent business. But Major League Baseball openly colludes in this particular way. So um, if the Brewers maybe did want to go a little bit higher uh, to smooth things over and seven hundred fifty thousand seven hundred and forty thousand dollars it is not just chump change it is it, it's not like ten thousand dollars you know it, it's uh it, it's a it's a kind of money that you would put up a stink about um 
So um, that's an awkward situation for them, but that is fundamentally how this works. And all of baseball, every single team are sharks in arbitration. Uh, they maintain their sharkship by through par- partially this process. And uh, yeah, it, it would be maybe smart for a small market team to go away from that and make their guy that they want to sign maybe long-term, maybe not, but happier by giving in here. But uh, baseball has kind of their own owner's union, and the owner's union does not play games in arbitration. Um, Went to a prospectus event many, many years ago, and they had one of their lawyers there. And uh, he got asked this question, and he he gave the example. Uh, It might seem not, and it was like, it may not seem like a lot to give up like $15,000 here, $20,000 here, but those become the baselines for future negotiations and future arbitration numbers and that those things compound over time and so we're not in the position where we can just give it on these willy-nilly and that's how that guy put it i forget his name at the moment i should look it up sometime um but uh this is a very process oriented process and there is not a lot of room for feels in it on the ownership side that might not be great business all the time but that is the tact that they take and it is just this is a hate the game um not necessarily the player situation because all of the teams do this the brewers are just a member uh, of those teams and um they could maybe win this battle by going away from it but they don't do that that's just not how baseball operates yep all of that is spot on from my understanding of the situation as well i just want to add a few things to it First off, I think it's important to understand that when you're you're talking about arbitration, you're not talking about the player's actual worth. What you're no, talking not at all. Not you, even close. Right. Yeah, this <laughs> is this is not what this is what is being disputed here. What you're talking about is this crazed system where how many times you've been through arbitration matters. Um, if you a lot of people wanted to compare Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff because they're both three year or they're both sorry two seasons away from free agency, so they're at the same level of arbitration, right? No, <laughs> Brandon Woodruff was a super two, which means he's actually in his third year of four years of arbitration, which means he's like a level up on Burns here, which is why even though he isn't as good a player, he is getting roughly similar money. Uh, Woodruff is going to get uh, ten point eight this year. So somewhere pretty close to exactly what Burns is going to get. And this is just a product of, of how the system works. And I think it's also super important to understand about this that what they're doing here is they are trying to, based on precedence, and this is what Paul was talking about, this is all based on precedent, they are trying to see how close they can get to the number that the arbitrator would deem fair for this player Um and, and be, in the Brewer's case, a little bit under it, and in uh, in Burns' case, a little bit over it. And so they're trying to hit this, this mark. They're not trying to establish what his actual value is. It's very strange, and it's a it's kind of a loony system, but yep. that that is why it produces these results. And everybody sort of goes through the the, the motions here of, of having to do this. And just because, so the Brewers are not a file-and-trial team. There are some of those, or at least there were. I don't know. I, I think that was a thing that was popular like five, six years ago and is less popular now, where if you once you once the team submitted their numbers, they cut off negotiations. They said, we're going to a hearing. And that was to try to put pressure on the player to settle, you know, before numbers got exchanged. But the Brewers are not that sort of a team. They do not do that. 
And so they can continue to negotiate and can continue to do that. And they they have said, Matt Arnold said yesterday, right, James, that they were going to continue to discuss with Corbin Burns, you know, going forward on this deal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so this is this is not like the end. And they're also the 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 harsh part of this comes when they actually sit down across from each other in the hearing and have to listen to like being badmouthed about how bad the player is because that's what goes on in these hearings is you hear all the reasons right. why this player sucks that's what right. the team has to to do and that's what the system sort of demands and it's and it's good actually uh, some agents love taking their players to hearings uh and I think players are required to go, but some some agents do like doing this because they like their players to see teams badmouthing them because it sets them up to you know be less uh, conciliatory when it comes to negotiating for their contracts further down the road. Um, they they makes them more take no prisoners sort of attitude. So yeah, this is this is one of those weird situations where it really doesn't. The, the the fact that they're haggling over this small difference uh, ultimately really means very little, especially if it gets settled before the hearing itself. It, it really doesn't matter. And they're not doing it because they're cheap. They're not doing it like they would easily. If, if the arbitration system said Corbin Burns gets 15, they would happily pay the 15. You know, it, sure. it that that part of this is not the issue. It's just that everybody does this dance around these numbers and there isn't there isn't a, a a good enough reason to just give in to the players because like paul said every single thing here sets a precedent yeah. and they're all trying to hold the line on the the precedents from going up and if every team in this situation were to do this it would result in players getting more and more money in arbitration and teams don't want that and that's you know it's really good to understand the history of this arbitration is a process that the players fought for before their union really had any other powers. Arbitration was like one of the first things. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, Paul, because it was arbitration was what the fact that they got the ability to go to arbitration was what ultimately won them free agency in 1975. It was part of the process of getting there. And it was originally a player secured um, right. And it now, you know, it, it's persisted to this day. It's been written into the rules. Everybody hates it, but nobody um, wants to fight over it because uh, it, there's two extremes you would land on, which is either more control or, or sooner free agency. And both sides hate the, the alternative in both of those instances. So that's why nobody wants to really have the fight, even though everybody hates this. And make no mistake, even though this is uh, still salary suppression from the owner point of owner's point of view. They don't like this either. They like saving money. They don't get me wrong. They like saving money, but they actually do not like having to go in and badmouth their players. And nobody really likes participating in a process that is frankly fraudulent. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I know that there are some attorneys who do baseball arbitration who, who view it as trial and have get their funsies off on it. But this, <laughs> this process this process is just uh, just a lie. You're arguing. Everybody here is arguing in bad. No, the players less, much less so. But the owners are arguing in bad faith that this is what the value should be. It's ridiculous. It, it has. Right. It's just. It just. Uh, it's not hyperbole to say it's just made up out of thin air. 
Like we know what the value of the players are because we also have a free market operating. And in any other area of law, that would be the first thing you go to to decide the value of something in dispute. It's asinine that in baseball that's not the case, but it has a very long and stupid history of this process. And so <laughs> that's how it goes. Um, well, but, and yeah. also because it predates free agency. So there yes, was there was yeah. no there was common no, there was no free market at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Except if players were released, given their outright release, and were just allowed to be, you know, like old players, veterans, or just marginal guys, there were no free agents when this system first sort of came into being. So it's it goes way back, and it and yeah, as you're saying, the the problem here is that yeah, neither side will accept um, the other side's uh, what they would do as an alternative to it, and, and right. so it just continues to stay in place it's the dumbest compromise it really is yeah um and so like going back to the question a bit you you can get mad at the brewers but every team would do this like it wouldn't be Mm -hmm. any different on any other team the only difference would be um whether they go to their hearing with burns or settle that like that's it but the numbers submitted at this point would be identical from any other team and the the they would not have settled at this point on any other team this would be exactly the same. So yeah, this is stupid. You can hate them for that, but it is the, literally the way baseball works and every team would do exactly the same thing because they talk about it. And so they get to do exactly the same thing. And every team has an example like this. I, I wager, you know, like maybe somebody got a, all their stuff in a row and settled with everybody, but every year there are cases like this too. Yeah. And every year we've got the tweets and the comments that are like, I can't believe that they're not settling or they weren't able to settle over 50 grand or a hundred grand or 150, you know, it, every, every team has this, but as we know, the brewers have a bit of an optics problem with their fan base right now. And that's kind of spurring things a little bit more. So we've got another question on Patreon from my only lemonade. Who's asking the brewers front office by all accounts is, one of the more clever and forward-thinking in all of MLB. That said, they seem to have a blind spot for maintaining positive vibes with fans. For instance, why is the on-deck event still on pause? (laughs) I get that the burns arb situation is quote-unquote part of doing business, like we talked about, but it sure seems like a smart front office would have foreseen the backlash and gotten ahead of it. My question, is this a weakness in the structure of the organization, or have we simply reached a point where profit is so guaranteed that owners no longer need to worry about fan vibes so i think we kind of touched on this paul but like that's part of it too right the owners just don't need to care about the fans well except they do uh especially mm-hmm. this one <laughs> because the brewers... i guess yeah this this scenario <laughs> they they have a problem and this we've talked different. about this for months it is a problem. Yeah. the brewers get a lot of the revenue from the gate uh, compared to a lot of the rest of baseball everybody's they're doing fine. Everybody's doing fine. We just got revenue numbers from the Braves the other day. Baseball made like $10.7 billion last year, and the Brewers got a good chunk of that. But the gate actually does matter for the Brewers, and uh, keeping your fanboy-based loyal is something you need to do to remain viable. They definitely have a weak spot for that right now. Uh, it is, it's a problem, and uh, I, I think we, we actually have to be a little careful here, but... Um, if, you know they're not good at this they they used to be really good at this and they have gotten much worse at it lately at 
fan relations, at smoothing things over. I think both internally in dealing with their players and externally in how they market the team. They seem like a bunch of out-of-touch rich people with their marketing now. All of last year with mm-hmm. golf and um, just like ex- you know trash that wasn't baseball that they kept trying to push on people. And internally, they seem to ha- lose the clubhouse more than they used to. I feel like their communi- communication skills have 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 gone backwards and maybe part of that was COVID. everybody got out of practice dealing with people in person which is definitely a skill um that might be part partly on the player side too dealing with people who are just coming into the game out of that crap it's harder to talk to them but um no they need to worry about this it's a real problem and i think they're going to have a really really down gate this year as things currently stand even if they're successful so um, they might think they don't have to worry about it and that all the crap they did to put golf in the stadium is going to solve it. But no, it, uh, they need to work on their messaging a little bit here. It's been rough. Yeah, I don't know how much of it has been their messaging or just like the way these things cycle through with expectations. When a team is exceeding expectations year after year after year, which they did for quite a while, it's easier to get good positive fan vi- vibes out of that. And then when you get into this part of the cycle where you're trying to maintain and you're trying to hold up and you're trying to continue to contend and try to like figure out a way to open your next window or to keep the window open or whatever, whatever it is you want to say they're doing right here, this is the harder part of things to manage. This is where people get really upset and where people get mad. And like the, the thing you always want to worry about here is you don't want to become Cleveland, Okay. There is a a very good lesson in this from what happened with Cleveland in the 90s. I'm not sure if people are aware of this. Cleveland sold out their stadium. It was like five or 600 straight games in the mid-90s. Remember when they went to the World Series in 95 and 97 and were very close to winning and like... They went to game six. They really should have won one. Yeah. (laughs) They really should have. You know, Craig Council in 97 with the Marlins. Ruined that, yep. Yeah. Uh, But what happened next... Was so what Cleveland did to to make that work was they signed they were sort of the, the like the the pioneers of build through the farm system and then sign guys to sort of below market deals early and hold them for a while and they were able to do this and it worked it worked for a while but the problem was eventually like the the Piper came due and all these guys started to leave Manny Ramirez leaves the Albert Bell thing where they they kind of their their hand was forced on that and there was there was some ugliness around that and all of that basically they went through this time period where all of their best players were leaving and for a lot of people in Cleveland my understanding is the final straw was Jim Tomei yeah Jim Tomei was beloved and that was sort of the final straw and Cleveland even though they have had multiple runs here of being very, very good. In 2007, they went to the ALCS and were very close to the World Series. They went to the World Series in 2015. They were a perennial contender like the last decade uh, in terms of, of winning the AL Central and uh, or at least competing for it and all of this. And they have had real, real hard time getting people to come out to the park because the the impression in Cleveland is just, why do we care? It doesn't matter. We're just going to lose our stars to big markets. Manny Ramirez is going to go sign in Boston. Jim Tomei is going to go to Philadelphia. We're just going to lose our stars. And so none of this matters. Screw this. And so there is this problem to manage. 
where you you have to you do have to be wary of the Cleveland thing and not letting that happen. I also feel like the Brewers front office used to be a little more conciliatory when things went wrong. Like mm-hmm. they were good, better about special deals, like a month of cheaper oh. tickets. And there was the Braun Bucks thing. That's the ultimate. The Braun Bucks. Braun yeah. Bucks, man. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like now it's much worse. Uh, whenever they do discounts now, it's like like six bucks off on a hot dog and drink or something like that, which is still like 10 bucks. It's it's always right. like very nickel and dimey, and it doesn't seem like it's actually giving you much of a deal. It seems like it's almost a scam where they're <laughs> they're trying to like they're desperate and they still want your bucks and uh, the, not the brown bucks, the real kind. So they, <laughs> they they're I feel like not nearly as good um, at like customer relations in tough times as they used to be even during like the, the brawn weeks fielder era when they would have a, a, a down year basically every other year they managed those better than they do now now it the the ballpark experience is really suffered and they need to do something to fix it like they're in milwaukee um this is not there's not some big huge chunk of rich people that are just going to come and fill up your stadium every single game you, you got to make this a little bit better for normal people and kids and stuff like it's not going to work. Yeah. There is some of that. I think a big thing that would make a lot of this go away would be like going to the world series. That would be fine. That would do very work very well. That (laughs) tends not to happen though. So you need a plan B. (laughs) It is, it is difficult to do, but that would, that would help a lot of this though. Ultimately, like if Cleveland had won one of those world series in 95 and 97, I wonder how how different history would be, probably significantly. Though, look at Kansas City. Kansas City, that stadium's empty these days, um, or at least was until this year. They they started to bring up more good young players, and things are, I think, headed back in the right direction there. But, like, they won the World Series in 2015, and I don't know what kind of long-term effect that had for them. I, ultimately, it, all of this is is it's difficult when you are in the market that they're in because you're going to have to manage some expectations in some ways that like larger markets don't necessarily have to do though. It is worth pointing out right now, four out of the five fan bases in the NL central hate their owner's guts. (laughs) True. You're not, you're not wrong. And I would say it's like 4.5 because the Cardinals owners aren't the most popular people in the world either like that they're not nobody's nobody's throwing parades for cardinals ownership either (laughs) so like it's like and and the cubs won the world series in 2016 so like you can't even say that that but they're hated like don't like people rightfully hate bob nutting in pittsburgh and the castellinis in, in cincinnati for different reasons but rightfully hate them but I think part of it, too, is just that, like, everybody hates their owners in baseball right now. Like, honestly, how many owners are actually are fans in baseball? How many ownership groups do uh, the fan bases look at and go, yeah, they're doing a good job? It's like the Phillies, the Mets and the Padres. Anybody (laughs) else? I mean, can you is is anybody like the Boston Red Sox currently? They are booing their owners. (laughs) The Twins medical staff. That yes, they're they're booing their owners uh, who brought them four World Series in fifteen years. Like I mean, so some of this is like kind of what are we doing here? Like this is everybody hates the the team owners, and there's some good reasons for that. But like, I mean, yeah, 
like when you have the work stoppage and then you're also just kind of societally speaking like in in an era right now where you know people are much less forgiving of those who have you know billions of dollars mm -hmm. i think that's kind of natural too mm -hmm. but i also wanted to like bring up i how much of it too is just kind of the ivy leagueification of like front offices right like these people are based on efficiency and kind of you know admittedly lack you know human emotion and connection to people i guess how easy is that to kind of lose that in the overall operation of things too if you're just used to running everything that way yeah it it, it does absolutely matter and um it's why there is a whole separate part of every company that is pr and marketing the closer that gets to the very top of the chain when that's run by, you know, essentially a hedge fund guy or an investment fund guy, it, it can be really destructive. It, it, those guys think they know everything and, you know, if they know a lot, but they don't know everything. And the more that their influence is there over how they interact with people, the worse it is for everybody. Like billionaires are mostly psychos. Not always, but like 90%. It's, uh, it, it's a rough group. They're, they're I mean, rough and <laughs> heartless. Kind of need that mentality to get to that level, right? You do. So. That's correct. Um, so <laughs> the, it, relating to normal people is not a strength. And it's why it's good to have a few layers of separation built in to the relating to the normal people part of the company. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that every team now is run very efficiently, or most are run pretty efficiently. And that doesn't leave a ton of room for like teams to just throw around like contracts that are going to bite them in the ass down the road, uh, except apparently in Philadelphia and San Diego and New York these days. Like that's yep. that's where that's done. But other than that, everybody is just and even those teams have their limits. Look at the, the Carlos Correa saga is very instructive on this, like both the Giants and Mets, who are smart, well-run teams now um, balked at at giving him the, the contract uh, that he, well, the over $300 million contract because his yep. ankle was going to fall apart in previous uh, generations in previous times that would have not happened. Like they, mm -hmm. the giants would have just stuck with it. They would have, you know, we never would have had a whole saga here. It just, they would have stuck with it and would have just, they, they wouldn't have wanted to go back on what they did and they wouldn't have wanted to take the, the bad PR hit that they ended up taking for it. And now teams are just more careful. They're more cautious. They're less willing to make mistakes than they used to be. And that's why, you know, you end up with some of the, the perceptions that you have. All right. Let's uh, kind of put a bow on some of the arbitration stuff. <laughs> so uh, it, Right now, after all those settlements um, and, and all those deals that got figured out overall, the payroll situation is what? Between like 110, 115 million right now on the books, depending on how you account for things like dead money and, and pre-arb guys and all that stuff. So I guess, Ryan, to really quick, we wanted to run down the actual mm -hmm. totals and just kind of maybe marvel at MLB trade rumors because they've got this friggin' down to a science. They, they hit the square on the head on a lot of them. Uh, yeah, they absolutely did here. So for uh, the actual money that these guys got versus what MLB trade rumors projected, uh, here you go. Brandon Woodruff got $10.8 He was projected for 11. million. Uh, Willie Adamas was 
uh, ended up getting 8.7 was projected for 9.2. So a $500,000 difference. And I think that's about as big as it gets here. Um, Rowdy was 4.95 is what he got. He was projected for 5.3. Uh, Urias got 4.7, was projected for 4.3. Devin Williams got 3.3, was projected for 3.2. Victor Caratini came in right on the money at 2.8. Um, Keston Hira got uh, uh, 200,000 more. He had 2.2 versus 2. Uh, Brousseau got 200,000 more, 1.4 versus 1.2. Abraham Toro, just a little bit less, 1.25 versus 1.4. Uh, Milner got 1.05 versus 1.1. So like $50,000 off there. And uh, uh, Lauer got uh, five on what was projected to be 5.2. So, and just in case you were wondering, MLB Trade Rumors projected Burns for 11.4. And the Brewers came in at uh, 10.01. And the uh, uh, and Burns came in at ten point seven five, so we're talking about very very you know tight margins here. It's it's not actually that hard when people kind of know the formulas that are used here to divine what these numbers are going to be. It's just you know it, it what it really comes down to is whether or not you want to pay that money more than anything. Absolutely, I guess. Since, since they were kind of under on a lot of these guys, I guess, Paul, do they need to kind of spend that elsewhere now? Or <laughs> are we talking about more bad vibes? They should try and spend it, but it's going to be pretty hard to do it with who's still left out there. Right. So it's a, I'm, I guess it's not a problem per se, but there, I think that there's no way they're not going to look at least a little cheap. Even if they sign another one or two players, um, it's probably they're probably not going to come in at a super huge peril. I don't think there's not a lot of, you know, $10, 15000000 million guys out there left. Um, so I, it, I think that they're going to face this as a problem. I, that, that'd be my guess at this point. I do think they'll still sign, sign people. I think they'll bring people in. They'll bring in some, you know, vets and platoon guys and definitely relief pitchers. But I don't think that the peril is going to grow super much. I just don't. Yeah, I think the best chance that we have of the payroll growing a lot and I don't know exactly how this is accounted for. It's not like a cap sport, but is an extension and a big bonus to extend, say, Willie Adamas or Brandon Woodruff. If you give one of those guys like a $10 million bonus, I don't know if that goes on this year's payroll then. Uh, but that could potentially, if you give Brandon Woodruff a $10 million bonus to sign this year for like a five-year extension, that could help. <laughs> like if you want to goose those numbers. Yeah. <laughs> but... I, I think basically the only way at this point to make people stop screaming cheap at Atanasio is for him to sign at least one, if not two, major extensions to one of our big three. That's the way to get people to stop screaming cheap at him. If he if they care about that. If that's if that is a goal, if that is a thing he wishes, if that's a thing the front office wishes for him, then that's the way to do it. Because it's you're not going to do it with any of the free agents, like Paul said. With the, the guys who are out there available, I, we, I was talking to somebody on Twitter about this this afternoon, like maybe you could get to, uh, you know, like Jerks and Profar and like Andrew Chafin. Maybe that could get you nudged another Yay. 15 million right. for the year. Like, yeah, it, like that's that's about <laughs> as good as it's going to get if you want to goose it for this year. <laughs> and I don't even know, like 
that shouldn't be their priority. Their priority here is to put good players on the field and win games. It's not to like, hey, what can we do to just throw money at the payroll so that we so that we goose it to some artificially high number so that people don't get mad at us? That would be kind of silly to to do things that way. Yeah. Yeah. If if they were actually cheap, they would just offload Christian Yelich for like some crappy rookie league guys and just to get that <laughs> off the books. They haven't done that. So Well, and we do have that that bar stool guy who is saying that Mark Antonazio nixed a trade for uh Colton Wong to Boston for prospects because he wanted something that was going to help this year's team. And they ended up taking back, you know, even more salary back the other direction. Once you accounted for the money switching hands in the, the Winker Toro exchange. So like, I, I don't know if you care to believe that guy. I tend not to. I don't know, but, but that has been reported that like Atanasio actually nixed a okay. trade that would have further cut the payroll. So well, let's, like, let's not use the word report because that <laughs> anyway, some sort of information and not just a freaking guess by a barstool yeah. guy. Anyway, let's move on before I get upset about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's journalisted right there. Like yeah, you just journalisted yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you need sources. All right, Jay Google's asking, what do you think the Brewers' plan is for Hira? He has reversed platoon splits, which is not ideal, and no position. <laughs> and as you mentioned, now he's he's being paid $2.2 million. So I guess, Paul, uh, another Hira question. How does he fit in? <laughs> he doesn't fit in, but um, I, I think they're like, he can hit a little bit, and we'll make room for him because we fit guys who, who don't fit. And if anybody comes calling and wants a bat, we'll... We'll listen. Uh, part of me thinks that they probably try and chop him kind of a lot, but that everybody just knows what Hira is. And it would take a very specific situation to make him desirable. Uh, and also, you're not going to get a lot for, for him. I mean, he's just very limited. You know? He's he's not a good defensive player. He can't really play any positions. He's a weird hitter. What are you going to do with him? You keep him up until he becomes unplayable, and then he either goes away forever or... Maybe you have him as a throw-in. But I don't think there's a plan for him. He's just a guy that's stuck on the team. And so the plan for him is to fit him in when you can. Yeah, and he's easy to forget about because we constantly do that here. And JR <laughs> and Kurt <laughs> over at the... Oh, yeah, the he's mic- still on the team. Of the Micro yeah. Bruce podcast. She's like, yeah, JR has talked about this multiple times. She's like, oh, yeah, right. He's still there and we still have to account for him. Like, what are we going to do with this? So, yes, it is it is a weird situation. I... I will confess when that number hit, I said something on Twitter. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm surprised. And somebody like followed up with me. I think my Kenka app followed up. He's like, so what? Why were you surprised? And I'm like, I guess that he's still on the team <laughs> and that they did this. I, I guess I've always sort of thought there was no way he was possibly going to be on the roster on opening day. And just seeing him get an arbitration settlement like this, having that that agreement worked out, just like reinforces that. Oh yeah, that's right. If things just if if uh, entropy continues here, if the universe continues on in the direction it, it's currently going, he's going to be on the opening day roster. And that's just it's mind blowing because they didn't have room for him. <laughs> like they yep. just, there's no. there's no place to play him, and it just none of it makes any sense. And yet. It's just it's so weird, guys. I was I was looking at this because uh, there was a conversation going back and forth with Steve about this, and I looked it up. Did you realize he was in the top forty players 
last year in baseball for I- ISO? Yes, I did because uh, I paid attention to that one pretty closely. He was he was good when he hit. He just you know it's the underlying with with Keston. It's he's he's just tantalizing, but you just know the crash is coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean if see here's the thing if if you go into camp. The first thing I guess you'd be looking at is, has he changed his swing so that he can yep. make contact with the high fastball? Because uh, if he has, now I'd be like, oh, oh, all right, okay, now there's something here. But you would think it should become fairly obvious fairly quickly. Hura uh, has a habit of having good spring trainings, and that's because guys aren't like they're working on stuff. They're not like focusing in on, okay, how do I beat this guy? That's not so much as important as it is like, well, today I need to throw a bunch of change-ups because today's change-up day in my warm-up routine for the season. <laughs> and well, no, that's seriously how it goes. And so I know, it is. I know. Yeah. like, and so you, you, you can't really judge those things uh, very firmly, but yeah, I would, I would very much like to see Keston Hira light up some high fastballs Sure. In spring training, and then go. Hmm. Well, maybe, and then we'll all would, buy into this thing again. I would like to see his strikeout percentage go down uh, for the first time in his career, because <laughs> every season of his career, it's gone up, which is incredible. <laughs> Something below thirty-five percent would be nice. Yeah, no. that would be good. Yeah, his career high forty-one point seven uh, would not be good to see a second, or, you know, this year. No, no, it's not. It it sucks because it kind of feels like he's just kind of the guy that they keep around until they need to DFA him because he's out of options. And I believe he's out of options this year, correct? Mm-hmm. So, he is now. Yep. Uh, so this this could be getting close to the end here. Um, well, I guess speaking of spring training, Luke Roy Suitcase is asking, with spring training a month away, that kind of stuck up on me. Uh, which players are you see? Do you see battling it out for the last few roster spots? Are there any under the radar names who sign minor league deals that may have a good chance at the roster? Um, it's funny we're talking about Keston Hira because he's going to be in that mix too, Paul. Yeah, and um, I think he's probably one of the big bubble guys, honestly. Um, but I, I don't have a good sense of like who's a lock and who's not, mostly because. Um, options play such a huge part of the things for the Brewers that it often gives a leg up to guys that I think kind of suck. Like Abraham Toro, I haven't given a second thought to because I think he's terrible, but I think he's probably going to make the team. Um, but uh, like, I, I don't, at the back end, I don't think there'll be too many surprises. I think if there is one, it'll be Keston and it won't be that surprising. Um, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly not really sure, um, who's like the last guy in or out at this moment. Um, and they'll add another 10 or 12 cycle in and out before spring training too. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's the end of the bench. It's who's going to be on the team. Is it going to be Toro or is it going to be Mike Brousseau? Mike or is Brousseau, it going to be yeah. Owen Miller? Like it, it could be any one of those guys, um, depending on how, like how the rest of it shakes out and how they want to cover. Because, you know, you need to provide backups at every position. So you need to have that. But... I think that that would kind of work. And then in the bullpen, it's like, yeah, which which guys have options and can be sent down and which guys do you want to like take a look at here? Like, I think that there's a decent chance that Bryce Wilson, who is out of options, gets a look into the season. Yeah, because they they want to try to see if they can make that stick and make that go. 
But then again, if if they decide not to, like if they if they in camp, they're like, hey, this isn't working. They're just going to release him and clear the 40 man spot because they're probably going to need the 40 man spots for prospects. You know, also true. Like, I guess I'd guess that maybe John Singleton doesn't make the team, <laughs> but that's right. as that's as big of a prediction as I have at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And well, Singleton is kind of there because I think that like if Rowdy were to sustain an injury in camp yep. or something. OK, well, now you have. You have that coverage and you could you could mess around with with stuff that way. So it, it gives you coverage. You kind of want at least one more big bopper on the roster behind uh, Rowdy for first base. And so that it's those kind of things. But, yeah, they whether or not they survive into the season, people make far, far too much, especially in nowadays. People make far, far too much of what the opening day roster looks like. People yeah. will, will will scream. They will they will heads will explode. I can't believe this player got sent down and this player's on the <laughs> roster. And like three days later it's gonna get changed. So, you know, if, if that, yeah. Yeah. It it like in, in some cases it literally was like the next day that there was a roster change after yeah. some Wasn't that I think it was like Boxberger was like the day after opening day, mm-hmm. right? Or something. It was like yeah, that. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. And it a lot of it just comes down to like who's on the roster, what works. Now the the one thing you can get upset about in in cases like that is if you actually have to let a player go, if it's not about sending a guy down, but actually cutting a guy. Okay, that's a fine there's a finality to that and if it means that that player is now gone, okay, now there's if you dislike that decision to release a guy, that's one thing. But if it's just about whether or not a guy is sent to the minors or not, that's such a temporary thing that is so subject to change within 15 minutes that like getting mad about it is just a complete and utter waste of time. Yeah. Brewers could have had G man Choi all along. That's all I'm saying. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I saw him, saw him in spring training when he was still on the team and that guy can rake. He's on the pirates now. That's <sighs> weird. Uh, along with Andrew McCutcheon. That's cool. So, all right. Going back home. All right, next Patreon question, less, uh, not the last Patreon question, but the next one comes from Mark Scarby asking, you all should start a banter podcast with all the excitement going on with them. Anyway, for my Brewer question, did any of the ARB numbers that came back surprise you? Uh, Ryan, you're shaking your head, not really? No, no I mean, <laughs> we, we just ran down this. Like, they were yeah. all so close to what was projected. The, yeah. the only surprise here is that Kestinger is still on the team. Like, that's my surprise. <laughs> like, which I shouldn't be surprised. Like, they tendered him, you know? Like, yep. this is how the process works. But it's still, I just like, how? <laughs> it's such a science now. There's There are no surprises. and arbitration, it, it's just, it's easy to predict. So, nope, not a one. There's no surprises in baseball, period, because it's also like homogenized to yep. the front offices now. Um, on the Badger podcast thing, man, I, I, I let's just talk a little. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize <laughs> Tyler Wall was as important as he was because they kind of suck now without him, the men's team. So, ooh, that's kind of rough. But Ryan, Badger <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. I the the football team is extremely interesting though. I'm still like. I don't know exactly how good they. I should think they're going to be. Well, I, how, how about the people calling for Greg Gard to get fired just because Luke Fickle is good at transfer portaling? <laughs> yes. Oh, the, for the, Greg Gard, but also yes. <laughs> the the firing Greg Gard thing is insane. He's won two of the last three Big Ten titles. 
Yeah. And, and like yeah. he's on a three game losing streak because their best players hurt and people yeah. want to fire him. I'm like, he's I, not Paul Christ. No. What you don't know. <laughs> this is so. And it, the thing is, it's the same people that were screaming about one that are screaming about the other. And so you're like, okay, you like you, you got your, you, you got what you wanted with Paul Christ. Like you got it. You, you have and it. And then they were mad that Jimmy Leonard didn't get the head coaching job. So, which, you know, the whole thing, whatever it's, <laughs> yeah, I, the no, the, the the Badger basketball thing is just that was when when I was informed today by a good friend that like the message boards were all up in arms to fire Greg Gard. I'm like, oh, what planet am I on? No, no, we Tanner don't Mark have enough time. Football, by the way. So yeah, I will say that you can be optimistic because okay. they have a good quarterback for the first time since Russ. So there you go. Uh, he'll he'll bide some time there. Yeah, we don't have time to do a Badger podcast. That's the issue. <laughs> we barely have time to do this. Paul has way too many podcasts. I also don't on. pay attention to college football or basketball yeah. like at all. So <laughs> that that for makes that. for better podcasts, though. So I that's not an excuse. All right, uh, Twitter questions this week. First one comes from Marcus Horton, uh, asking, "Do you guys think it's possible the Brewers could make an early in-season trade like they did with Adamas, maybe for a guy like Yandy Diaz once Curtis Mead makes his debut for Tampa?" That's very uh, Tampa. It's sort of like the Adamas situation all over again, Ryan. Yeah, and people really want to get Yandy Diaz on this team. There's like a hardcore contingent of people, <laughs> and I get it because he does have a really good on-base percentage, and so like that would help. But like he also can't play third base defense, guys. Like he he really isn't a third baseman. He needs to be at first base. And so trying to pencil him him in at third base. This team this year, we've talked about this, but I want to reiterate they're being built on a run prevention model. They're being built to be good all over the field defensively and to have a really deep pitching staff with good pitchers at the top of it. So this is a this is a classic run prevention model, and they're going to try to score as many runs as they can to to make all of that work. But this team is being being structured around preventing runs. That is the main goal here. Is Yandy Diaz the one that effectively wild calls ground beef, or is that somebody else because of the ground ball rates? Uh, I can't remember. It might be. It might be. <laughs> Because if if it's him, I'm thinking of that's another ground ball rate like Yelich like that is uh, probably not ideal for this team. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm totally open for the Brewers looking for early season trades. I know we've kind of talked about that before too at the end of spring training, as you know, roster crunches happen as well. So I definitely look out for that for like that last piece there. Mm-hmm. Jay Bartholomew is asking, uh, last year's lineup was a great substitute for Ambien. Now that they've eliminated two of their most consistent hitters in Renfro and Wong as part of their cost-cutting sales drive, do you think 23's team might be the most boring in the last 18 years? Oof. Paul, how do you feel? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the 2022 team is going to be tough to beat. And they've at least added some different bats and so that might help i think that there's at least some potential um to be a little bit more exciting i really hope that's the case and honestly the shift going away probably means that it's impossible to be quite as boring as last year i think i think it'll be all right by the way yanni diaz is uh, a guy who hits the ball into the ground exclusively so that is definitely true i was just pulling up savant when we did that so didn't get it in time but uh, I think this this will be a more exciting team than last year. It kind of has to be. And I do think that they'll be a better offensive team than last year. Um, it, it, 
it's like baseball is going to change things to make offense better. There's also always the possibility the ball will be better because they should realize that that ball sucks. They might not, but they should. And uh, like the Brewers are treading water in terms of their offensive talent level. I think this will be a more exciting team to watch. Well, here's a prediction for you. I bet you the Brewers offense is worse than it was last year, but that people like it more. (laughs) Could be. That is my prediction for this because this all gets down to what do you find boring? Jay, like what is boring to you? Because uh, what they did last year was they ended up 10th in run scoring in the in the league, 10th out of of 30 teams. Uh, Did it look pretty? No. Uh, Part of that was just like the overall run environment last year was way down. So that was, you know, that dragged everybody down. So everybody thought their offense sucked last year. That was just part of the season and the way it went. But like. Is it exciting to you to have a guy who is uh, hitting 280 with a 320 on base percentage and a 370 slugging um, hitting ninth and, you know, stealing 25 bags? Because that might be like Bryce Terang. Is that more exciting than having uh, Colton Wong out there who's hitting like 245 and popping, what was it, 14 home runs? Like, if if that's what excites you, if that's what gets you going about about uh, about uh, offense, then you might find like Bryce Terang to be more exciting than than Colton Wong. But I I just ultimately I think that what they've done here is they've sacrificed some power. They've definitely given up some power from last year's team, and they're going for more of a contact oriented approach in some spots in the lineup. And a lot of that is to get better defenders on the field. Like they are trying to put their best foot forward defensively in most places here and so I think that that is that's a thing though ultimately like did they have an a hitter as exciting as what Wilson Contreras did last year on their roster I don't, I don't think so I don't think so nope. but is Contreras going to repeat I, I also don't know that I, hopefully maybe not but I just don't want them to get no hit through four in like 80% of their game, <laughs> which is what I feel like last year was that that's yeah, what I, I, want I don't know happen. if that's accurate but it certainly felt that way right <laughs> yes um yeah i i was gonna say i feel like a lot of people's off uh problems with the offense last year is, is more like the variance issue or the run distribution that we kind of talked about last summer too right like yeah they're top 10 and runs scored but there were a lot of zeros in between those runs that were scored and i think that's what kind of lulled people to sleep right it like even when you had a hunter renfro three-run home run you're more like oh huh okay instead of like oh yay they're good so oh, you I mean like within games yes that yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah, run yeah. scoring would come yeah. in first because i was gonna say on a game-to-game basis they were in the top five for four plus and five plus runs per game too so like they were consistently scoring runs from game to sure. game too or sure but like paul was saying yeah. there were those three and a half forwarding stretches where yes. absolutely nothing happened yeah and that had to have been something that just was going on all over the game last year based on what like the construction of the game was last year it just there's sure. a ton of strikeouts and the ball wasn't flying out as much as it had been in you know many of the previous years that we'd seen recently yep so that's going to cause issues that way it's just it's yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I think that ultimately here, it a lot of it is like what is your preference and like what what aesthetically pleases you about offense. 
you know, I to me, I, it's probably different than what some other people think. Like, I do enjoy long at bats that like Ugh. go like uh, when they're when it's a, a product of guys like fighting uh, out through the strike zone and like a good pitcher matching up with a, a good hitter, like neither one wanting to give in. That is intriguing stuff. It's just not, I think, what and maybe some of it, too, is like there's going to be less time in between pitches. So maybe that'll help, too. Sure. Like if, if we speed up the pace of things a little bit, it will seem less interminable, like a three shutout or three no hit innings that take an hour and 20 minutes versus 40 minutes is probably, mm-hmm. you know, that will it'll probably go over a little bit easier that way. I think I'd agree with that. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh Next, we talked about the international free agent settings at the top a little bit, but then Ryan kind of had to prod Twitter to ask the question. <laughs> so here's Ben Oler asking, Ryan, can you give your thoughts about the opening of the international signing period and the Brewers adding three top 50 players from the class? We've also got a Patreon question from Throb Zombie uh, saying, what are the odds that yeah. we ever see any of these guys? How big of a deal is this? So Ryan, your thoughts on the... Uh, signing class as much thoughts as you can have about a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds <laughs> yeah uh 17 yeah 16 17 year olds 17. they have they have yeah. to be 16 to sign so and some of them are okay we're, 17, we're, we're past that that part of the child labor issue got it okay <laughs> yes, it's still it's still bad but yeah we don't have time for all that so let's talk about these actual guys first off um i do want to note james anderson we were talking about this a little bit in our group chat he chimed in and mentioned that uh he believes that the brewers are the only team that signed three guys for over a million dollars in this window so that they had three guys who got bonuses over one million dollars can't like that's that's hard to verify at this point like for sure but it is at least indicative of like how they like to do this which is to kind of spread their money around a little bit and uh still when you anybody who's getting over a million dollars to sign is a very legit prospect like you don't get over a million dollars in the international market unless you're a legit prospect so as opposed to remember that year that the Brewers went and gave Gilbert Lara like almost their entire went their almost Gilbert their entire Lara, slot yeah. for the that year. That's this, not how you do that. No. Yeah, this is a different <laughs> approach, and the Brewers have <laughs> have done well in this. So um, the the first guy worth noting here is Yuferi uh, uh, Rodriguez, who is actually um, shouts to to Kurt Hogue who who checked on this for me. Um, he is actually from the Dominican Republic, not from Venezuela, which was an error that was going around out there. Um, and both he and um, the guy that was ranked um, number 33, um, uh, Filippo Dutturi, um, who is a shortstop out of Venezuela. Both of those guys are kind of classic Brewers prospects these days in terms of they are feel to hit guys who sort of have emerging power and emerging um so it's it's hit before power for those guys, but both have what should profile as um, in Deturi's case, like really good potential um, uh, defense at shortstop. And they think that Yafari uh, Rodriguez, uh, the center fielder, can potentially stay in center field, like projects to stay in center. Um, both are smart, hard workers, like guys who are really pushing to uh to excel. And that's, you know, that matters a lot too. Um, especially when you're trying to figure out like 
what is this 16 slash 17 year old going to be like in a few years? That that stuff really does matter. Um, the other player that they looked at here was the number uh, the guy who got the actual biggest signing bonus um, per Baseball America. He was number 25 on their list, and they just rank straight up by uh, how big the signing bonuses are. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin uh, Areu. Uh, he's another Venezuelan shortstop. He's a different sort of profile. He is, um, first off, a defensive whiz, uh, but really does seem to have like true power um, and is really growing into uh, some real power and some knowledge of the strike zone, but not necessarily contact. So he <laughs> looks like he might be more of like a three true outcomes type guy uh, than the other two who seem to be more field to hit types. So, um, to know anything about this stuff, you're going to have to wait. Like Jack, uh, Jackson Churio is moving about as fast as a person can humanly move in this situation. And he is two years removed from signing at this point. Right. So yeah. like he is moving about as fast as you possibly can. And he just scraped to double A. Most guys will not move as fast as he does. It's not fair to expect them to. So, yes, uh, the, the guy who asked that question about, will any of these guys make it? I don't know. Like, they're lottery tickets. You, you do this because uh, when you hit on a guy, um, they can potentially be, like, star-level players. But y- the, the hit rate is relatively low. Sure. Uh, kind of a related question on Twitter then, too, from Allspurge, who's asking, it seems like we're starting to see some hitters come through from these signings. How long until we see some pitchers? So you mentioned Churio and others, you know, obviously kind of catching the eye of fans in the last year, watching those box scores. But some of the pitchers we haven't really seen come through. So um, is that just because they're higher variance, Ryan, or are they coming along a little bit slower? Well, I think there is some of that going on here. Um, uh, I will say Abner Uribe is, he will probably beat uh, Jackson Churio to the major leagues this year. He's probably the next guy that we had from the international side who's going to make it to the big leagues. Uh, we could see him in the first half this year if his uh, if the command improvements that he made in the second half last year stick. Um, the thing is, with pitchers from... Uh, Latin America, it's it's a very different sort of thing. It it often takes a long time to develop, um, and there's a lot of bumps in the road and things that happen. Uh, Houston has been really, really, really good at this. I was just having a conversation with my friend about this on Friday, where Houston has like they sign a lot of guys, and some of these guys have been signing at like 18 and 19 years old, so well past that initial signing moment. But Houston just seems to know how to identify um, the Latin American talent as far as pitching goes and then to how to develop it up. They just seem to really have a talent for it. And it is more difficult. It is one of those things where um, when you when you like watch the futures game, you will see that so many of the when you when you start seeing Latino kids come in, it's usually in the late innings and it's as relievers like and. Some of this is that it is difficult to develop. Some people think that there is a, a real problem with. So you have before you have to put a guy on your 40 man roster, uh, you have if they're signing from Latin America, I believe you have five years before you have to put them on your 40 or maybe it's four. 
before you have to, yeah, I'm not sure of the exact number, but oftentimes that's just not enough time. And so what teams have been doing is they've basically been saying, well, we don't think we can put in the seven, eight years worth of work that we're going to need to put into the 16 year old when he signs um, to make him a starter when he's 23, 24 years old, right? So that's seven, eight years down the road. And teams go, we don't think we can do that. We can't do that because by the time we do it, we're going to lose our control of this player. They're going to be gone. We're not going to be able to carry them on our roster. So I think a lot of a lot of uh, pitchers from Latin America end up getting shoehorned into the bullpen because teams don't have the time to be able to develop them. And it's a lot of people think this is a real problem. Um, and I'm not sure if there's a good solution to it, but the, this starts to get into some of the the real issues with, um, you know, when you're signing guys at 16 years old and you have to start making like real roster decisions on them when they're 20 and 21 years old, timelines sometimes get accelerated faster than they should. And I think that does hurt guys' careers sometimes. Sure. Uh, definitely something to, to look at in the future. Let's we'll see if there's like a rule change or something that they can do. But yeah. uh, it, in the meantime, yeah, it seems like those hitters are sort of outpacing the pitchers for those reasons you laid out. All right. That'll do it for questions this week. Thanks for all the Twitter questions and the Patreon questions. A reminder, go sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month is all it takes to make sure you get your question read here every week as we do this show. And uh, if you want to help support us in another way, don't forget, you can go to Apple Podcasts, send a five star review and a rating. If you give us five stars, Paul will read it. Just checked. I don't think we have any nope. new ones oh. this week, but we're up to 4.7 overall. So yeah. that, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, as a reminder, if you haven't already, go and leave a rating and a review for us over at Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you listen to us. Um, and that makes sure you won't miss an episode throughout can I, can I, the before, off season. Before we sign off, can I do breaking football news? Because it's just dun, 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 dun. It's yeah. mind blowing. So, um, right now, as we record this, the Ravens and the Bengals are playing, and uh, it's a bad, bit, bad day for Paul's brand because Tyler Huntley uh, gave up a 98 yard fumble sack touchdown. Oh, no. uh, but, oh, but, no. but, but here's the thing here's the thing. So, uh, Tyler Huntley like took the snap from like the one and a half and dove forward with the ball out, stretched and got stripped from him, and it got returned. Um, like two minutes later, Next Gen Stats, which is the NFL's stats site tweets out that according to the chip in the football the closest the ball got to the end zone was 0.6 yards from the goal line oh and like we're like wait (laughs) 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 we're measuring things with chains and using cameras to tell if the plane's been broken and you guys got a chip on the football down to the tenth of a yard and you tell anybody about it (laughs) just use that (laughs) like what how long when when did this happen how has this not been common knowledge so everybody's going crazy i feel like it was kind of a troll by them to be like hey guys we got but like we got it, the chip in the ball remember that there's a chip yeah. in the ball it's insane i can't believe there's a chip in the ball so anyway just wanted to throw that out there because people are going crazy about it right now i mean at this point how could there not be a chip in the ball if they didn't have a chip in the ball wouldn't that be like dereliction of duty well i, I feel like they 
uh, when you do next gen stats, they have all the player tracking. I don't think there's chips on all the players. Maybe there is. <laughs> I guess I don't know that for sure. I just assumed it was tracking via cameras, cross referencing information. But apparently, there's a chip in the football. <laughs> so, um, just look, set up look, lasers and yeah, drop look forward the chains. To that. And God, yeah, it's so easy. Anyway. Uh, robot umps for baseball and robot touchdown calls for football, please. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's see if Mr. Huntley can pull this one off. Skylar Thompson almost pulled off an upset. So uh, hey. he was awful yeah, in that, that game. That he was, like he was real bad. Seven or something like that. <laughs> he was looking real Heineke in in that game and almost pulled it off. But yeah, uh, oof, man, yeah, rough weekend for Paul's guys. Hopefully. Uh-huh. Uh, at least one makes it through and and you got a rooting interest next week. So, (laughs) all right. Uh, That'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll see what other Brewers news comes up or or what makes everybody mad online in the next week. And we'll talk about it here next week on Milwaukee's tailgate. Have a good one, everyone.